I've been in meetings with the executive branch where it sounds like it's really hot and sexy, right. but it's not. We, yes. we ended up just talking about nothing. I've been in those. Yeah, hot and sexy meetings at the, at well, the executive branch? Not, to be clear, not hot and sexy meetings. I've been at meetings okay. at the executive branch <laughs> that looked on paper to be a big deal and aren't really the big deal. Southern Baptist Conference, hot and sexy meetings at the executive branch, you heard it here. Especially with the traditional values folks, I can promise they were not, not hot and sexy. This is Crossing Phase, the podcast featuring a Christian and a Muslim talking religion and politics. Your co-hosts for this adventure are me, Matt Hawkins, a once policy director for the Southern Baptist Convention, and my New York Muslim friend, the multi-talented John Pinna. Show notes, bios, and all our social media links are available at crossingphase.com. How you doing, sir? What's happening? Good. How are you? Right. Uh, you, you have a good weekend. You had a good uh, holiday weekend. Holiday was good. Had some friends in town. Did some grilling. Went to a football game. It was good times. So uh, we, you know, we started Maharam on the on the thirtieth. So I think I think we should, if there's any kind of holidays in the situation, uh-huh. we should probably. So Maharam is the uh, the honoring of the, the 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 battle of Karbala, the death of of the grandson of. Uh, the prophet uh-huh. uh, Hussein, peace be upon all of them and their families, right? So, um, and so it's a big Shia holiday, okay. Uh, and so it commemorates this, this the idea of of the Shia faith surviving, this idea of the bloodline surviving as the Umayyads surrounded the prophet's family and hammered them mercilessly. Yeah. Uh, in a dry riverbed, so doesn't, so it's a doesn't sound yeah. like a joyous holiday. It's not. I mean, I say Happy Maharam, but I get a lot of heat for that. Yeah. So, um, especially with my twelver friends. Uh, so, yeah. So I and and the, remind it, me, twelver. What is that a reference to? What does that mean for we so Western the, evangelicals that aren't familiar? Okay, so. Oh, do we are we gonna get into like the the Shia Sunni lesson? If it's on what a the deep rabbit trail, we can skip it for now because I know I, I know I mean, we got we got other stuff to. Well, I mean, I can teach you the difference. Today. I mean, I can teach you the difference between Sunni and Shia in three minutes if that's what you really want. Uh-huh. Are you into it, or should we just go yeah go ahead? Sunni Shia so, in three minutes. All right, peace go. be upon peace be upon him and his family in the entire conversation because we can't say it after everything. So uh, Hazrat Muhammad had these had uh, a best friend and confidant, this guy by the name of Abu Bakr. And Abu Bakr would take over the prayer times and when Hazrat uh, Muhammad was sick and uh, when he was on caravan or traveling or something. And he was, this, he was, I mean, I don't know if he was just a best friend, but he was more than that, right? So he was the number one. Uh-huh. Then you have Hazrat Ali, a cousin of Muhammad who marries Fatima, the daughter, right? So you got the cousin, and then you got Abu Bakr at a place called Gullam Kal, which is like a um, like a, an oasis. Hazrat Muhammad says, uh, "After I after I pass, Ali will be the next in line in the bloodline to the end of days." Mm-hmm. There is some question of whether or not who was there, what happened at Gullam Kal. So I'll, I'm not going to make a judgment on that. But Hazrat Muhammad passes. 
Uh-huh. Those that follow Abu Bakr become Sunni. Those that follow Ali, the bloodline, become Shia. That's essentially the difference. Do you follow the best friend or do. do you follow the bloodline? Sure. Right. Yeah. And from Abu Bakr, you get four schools of jurisprudence. And from uh, Ali, you really get four schools or four bloodlines. So when okay. I say Twelver, uh, Twelvers are the largest Shia group and they followed to the 12th descendant of Hazrat Muhammad. Uh-huh. So, so like me, I'm Ismaili, so I'm like a sixer, right? So there was some, <laughs> some there was some <laughs> d- dispute over whether or not the oldest or youngest uh, son uh, or, or descendant at that time uh, uh, was uh, supposed to take over. Um, those that follow the older um, are my guys. Those that follow the younger uh, go to go, go all the way out to twelve. Yeah, okay. so, so that's what that's what twelvers. So okay. so Iranians are twelvers. Um, the two biggest sort of sort of groups, um, and and so Shia follow particularly twelvers, right? They follow what's called ayatollahs, right? So they they that's their their sort of high priests, right? So yeah. um, so Sistani uh, is the largest group of. Uh, t- uh, Shia Twelvers outside of Iran, and he's in Iraq, uh, and uh, and it was this other guy Al Huli who was uh, an Ayatollah who who they merged when they all, when when the um, Ayatollah Al Huli uh, passed, um, and then you have a guy by the name of Shirazi, it's a little bit more restrictive. He's in uh, he's he's in uh, um, Iran, so. Uh, and then there's Shia, you know, most all over the place. Um, Shia Twelvers all over the place. So, and then my sect, the Ismailis, a really small sect, um, so uh, of, of Islam. But uh, we we had one of the uh, caliphates. We were the, the Fatimid Empire um, uh, stretched all through North Africa, all the way up to uh, 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 Turkey, uh, mm-hmm. Asia Minor, and uh, they built Cairo. So. Um, and Ishmaelism was founded in Tunisia, so okay. in a place called Media. So, anyways, so uh, so this is this holiday is very sacred to to Shia. Some celebrate the first three days, some celebrate ten days, some celebrate yeah. twelve, or some go all the way up to sixty. And it's it's a morning holiday, not early in the day, but M O U R N. So uh, well, so so. So a shout out to to all my Shia and Sunni uh, brothers and sisters who are who are mourning uh, the uh, the Muharram and, and the, the first few days of Muharram. That was helpful. So yeah, helpful and succinct explanation. Yeah, it just it doesn't happen with me, does it? No. <laughs> I can see you were like, eh, this is going to be a short one. Um, so I'll probably I'll you probably did it in under about three minutes. That's good. I'm that's, impressed. That's, 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 so that's generally the difference. And Maharam, that there is the one part about Maharam is is the, the split with this the battle. Mm-hmm. The Umayyads um, represent a n- non-linear bloodline, linear um, group. So it there, it's a point of contention between Sunni and Shia sometimes when they talk about the battle. Sure. So, um, so yeah. So here's the thing. So we're, I'm going to slam and, you a little bit. And we don't want to get into anything contentious on this show, right, John? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to. You know, I'm not going to say. 
you know, that, that there's any kind of issue there. I just say, because I, th- I think, to be honest with you, I think it's all semantics. Um, you know, I, I think I used to make fun of my friends with Abel Bucker and, you know, particularly some of my, my fundamentalist friends. And I was like, so how was your Fudger Bucker? So Fudger is morning prayers. So I just add Bucker onto anything. So your Fudger, you know, how was your Fudger Bucker? And they'd be like, what are you talking about? Because we, Shia, have uh-huh. sainthood. We, we, like, we have a lot of saints and heroes. And Sunnis don't really don't really do that. Uh-huh. So, um, but I always kind of poke fun that they are they follow the best friend. So, you know, so, um, but yeah. So there's a little bit back and forth on that. So here's your here's the question to you. Okay, okay, I'm I'm bracing for it. You and I have been swimming in these waters in Washington for a long time. Uh-huh. We have a lot of contacts. We interact with all these different factions. Right. We now have a TV show celebrating the the Christian conspiracy. <laughs> Thank God they stayed. Is it really? <laughs> so th- thank God, thank God they stayed the hell away from us to this one, you know. So, but maybe there's every show is about us. I was, uh, right. uh, you know, <laughs> I was watching that that the Tom Clancy, the, the, I can't remember what the TV show is called. Um, Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Yeah. And like the first, the first, you know, line, I'm glad they pivoted to Russia because the first one was pretty terrible. It's about all these people getting killed in churches. Yeah. Like, Oh, I, I was like, "What are we doing here?" The second episode, some priest gets stabbed in the, right. in the chest. Yeah, something. it's intense. It's intense. Yeah, I go. This isn't good. This is this isn't going to do bode well. Bode well. So here's the deal. So you and I know about all the different factions that are here, more or less. More or less. Right? So we know that the Knights Templar meet here in their full garb with their, the red crosses and uh-huh. and the chainmail in the in the basilica. Yeah. Yeah. I was called into a meeting once and I said, I'm not going to be part of your weird sacrifice. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, um, and the, there's all these other groups that are here that are meeting. Right. And there's one that's called the fellowship. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and I, I mean, I, I interact with those guys. You've interacted with those guys uh-huh. and who, who have this place called the Cedars clubhouse. And now there's a TV show called the family. So, I would like to know how many times have you been absolved for adultery? And number one, number two, like you got to let me know what's going on with the rituals. What what happened with you know? Where are they really following? Was is the Jesus cult now a a business bent on rituals? And the TV show is called The Family on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. So for those who might not know what we're talking about, Netflix. <laughs> That's a limited series. Was that a good? Was that was that a good? That's a good. Seg- that's that a good lead. Did I play you in well. All right, because good... I just wanted to make sure that I said enough. <laughs> you know, to make it because now everybody's thinking, what are they talking about? Society? So, so Netflix recently released uh, a, a short series. It's what five episodes, uh, titled "The Family," which is uh, documents based on a couple books by uh, journalist Jeff Charlotte his experience in supposedly uncovering uh, quote-unquote the family or it also goes by the name the fellowship uh, which ostensibly is a non-official official funded but non-existent group they're a powerful group in Washington that is yeah that claims to uh, basically raise up uh, Christian leaders or Christians into leadership positions, uh, both domestically and around the globe. And so this uh, Netflix series seeks to uh, expose that as some kind of 
uh, investigative journalism with a hint of conspiracy theory. Anyway, it's all the rage in <laughs> in the circles that really are freaked out by the evangelical association, particularly with the Trump administration in power. Is that fair to say? I think so. I mean, I got slammed. Everybody goes, are these the guys that you talk to all the time? Is this happening? And I go, yeah, no, no these are the guys. I mean, then, <laughs> but my, my counterpunch is this, and, and, and is that generally anybody within the Beltway has a faction uh-huh. and funding and an agenda. Right. So I'm not even sure you can... And so every, this whole town is full of weird conspiracies. Right. So, uh, but I but I would think they were they would be it would be a conspiracy in Tennessee, but not in the Beltway. You just have like a bunch of people that have similar <laughs> interests who might be enemies, might be friends, who might have weird rituals, and they all have an agenda. And if their guy comes to power or their guy gets near power, they're going to back that horse, you know. And they're all trying to grab power. So yeah. I don't think there's any difference between Walmart doing Walmart does the same thing. Right. <laughs> I'm not bashing Walmart. I'm just saying. You well, know, it, it reminds it reminds me a little bit of the uh, the fictionalized uh, movie several years ago about the lobbyist. What was it? It was called Thank You for Smoking. But, I mean, it sounds familiar, yeah. but I don't know. It was. It basically chronicles the life of a uh, or the the experience of a tobacco lobbyist, and oh, uh, so it yeah it, right. Well, I mean, I used to work for the home, first ten years of my career was a home building industry. First ten yeah, years, yeah. and 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 I mean the amount I sat here in a meeting way back in two, it was two thousand three, uh-huh. and it's called it's called the Big Builder Conference. The top presidents from the first from the top hundred builders come into into uh, Washington D.C. Uh-huh. and they discuss every year what they're going to do with the home building industry. And I was low level staff. I mean, I was just taking notes. And Alan Greenspan was there, and the top home builders were there, and uh, they discussed the subprime mortgage scheme. Mm-hmm. And there were home builders there that said, "No, we're not going to do this." You know, they were like, "We're the home builders. We have our own mortgage companies. We can buy into the points." Alan Greenspan was sitting there going, uh, "I'll keep the the, the uh, interest rates low." And there were home builders that were. There was a guy from American Homes. Um, God, I can't remember his name. And he, he, he protested. He was one of the like old school, old guard, and said, "We're going to destroy the industry." I mean, the largest industry in the country at that time, nine hundred eighty-eight billion dollar industry, was the home building industry. Uh-huh. And he said, "No way, we're not going to do this." And uh, and it was this huge dispute. But in the end, they decided to go with it. And of course, wow. you know, seven years later, it destroyed the, the global economy and the only economy of the product that has to be built in our country: home build homes. Um, so, I, I mean, I can speak volumes about my my experience in the home building industry and the craziness that happened there. But that's not unique. There are numerous meetings that happen with different agency officials and and with different factions and groups who are trying to push their agenda forward or making secret agreements to do things. Uh, yeah. And this wasn't anything that was sinister. It yeah. was. The industry deciding, the top 100 builders saying, this is where we're going to go for the next couple of years, and we're going to see where, where it takes us. Yeah. So I don't think it's unique, but I do think because of the lens with the president right. and, the, you know, you're, you know, um, um, we got to know how deep you are in the cedars now. Right. This is a question that everybody's <laughs> going to be asking. You know, that was a question I was like, maybe Matthew, why are you on the run? Why are you in Tennessee 
and why are you outside of, of uh, the Beltway now? What, what happened <laughs> right. between you and the fellowship? Let's well, just for, start with that. For the record, uh, I've not ever been to the Cedars, nor have I been invited. So I can, uh, I think, while I know some of these quote-unquote associates of the fellowship, as Netflix described them. Well, uh, what is the Cedars uh, now? It's, 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 I call it the clubhouse, but yeah. maybe be a little more descriptive of what it well, is. Oh, the, so the Cedars is uh, a palatial mansion uh in northern virginia where uh supposedly this is the hub of the fellowship and uh, wherein they also uh recruit uh young christian men uh, and apparently there's an equivalent uh, ladies dormitory down the road uh to cultivate uh supposedly young men and women for for future leadership roles and they basically hang out and play football and sweep leaves and do chores and all kinds of other stuff that uh, I guess you know helps build com- camaraderie, and in and of itself is not not anything we ought to be concerned about. Uh, but right. like you said, like so, I I I view this my my reactions to the flick to the Netflix uh, series uh, drop into two buckets. Number one, uh, first is the citizen bucket. So, like you described, anybody who's in Washington, the point is to influence the government to do something right uh, or, or for other factions right or, yeah you know, build that alliance it's the yeah. whole it's, it's the whole point it's freedom yeah. of assembly freedom of speech <laughs> right free freedom of uh uh to petition a redress of grievances right um yeah, yeah so I, I it, 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 it's the like anybody who's in washington is engaging in basically the same thing that the fellowship is is dealing with so uh not the least of which now varying degrees of, uh, you know, public activity versus, you know, more subtle activity like the fellowship is doing, even appearing to be secretive uh, in places. But the whole point of advocacy and government and leadership is everybody does it. So uh, it's it's what the IRF roundtable does that we've long participated in, uh, is seeking to influence, right, and network it's it's a it's a gathering of a non-group group right and uh also seeking to replicate itself in other countries as a model of multi-faith collaboration uh for uh for religious freedom right so well, well let's well, so, I the, mean, so look, the basic it's... the basic model of the activities that the fellowship is engaged in generally speaking for american politics is not all that shocking well but generally this is how it works there's a group or a faction or there's a group usually associated with an agenda and they have formal and informal people that work for them. Sometimes they, it, they'll hire either a, a lobbying firm or individual consultants you know, that are hired guns to go in and advocate on their behalf. And that creates some kind of neutrality for them to keep, stay at arm's length away. And they may not understand governmental process. So there's a lot of non-groups out there that are functioning and operating uh, to influence government. Uh, and then they they have some formal factions or group of factions or coalitions that address uh, that that are trying to push an agenda. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess you know when I, when you look at the fellowship and you look at the television, you're like eh, you and I are kind of like eh, this is kind of normal. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anything any different that happens in London or any place else. Right. You know that has got a seat of government, but it's sexy because there's some ritualistic stuff and and it gets into the moral the, the morality of Christianity and and where right. these guys fall in the spectrum of 
Christianity, right. Christianity and religion. Right. And that's where it's hot. That's where it's sexy. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's the second bucket of, uh, of reactions I have is one, one was that as, as a citizen, as an, as one who's experienced in, in the world of uh, advocacy. And then the other one is, as you mentioned, uh, as one who is in the, in the broad spectrum of Christianity and this fellowship purports to be uh, a Christian gathering. And uh, there are certainly marks of that. And uh, they frequently kind of expand their reach by encouraging Bible study uh, or, you know, prayer groups or breakfast prayer groups uh, that are kind of a spinoff, kind of a smaller version, smaller versions of the National Prayer Breakfast, which uh, features prominently uh, here in in the Netflix series and in the fellowship operations. But uh, I see kind of a spectrum which, which you and i you and i both attend the national prayer breakfast uh you have been so. i actually have not even been to the national prayer breakfast shockingly really? enough no huh. <laughs> so then that, yeah and, and so i don't the national prayer breakfast uh, generally is uh they a, a christian fest uh, although there are side events with yeah. different factions you'll have is uh, a middle east and and asia and stuff side events that are and when they say side events in the hotel that it, that it's housed has all these factions meeting right. while the event is going on over the series of days, my criticism is that there's never any multi-faith uh, speeches. It's all yeah. – I mean, the last one I went to was all about uh, – it was like an echo chamber of like Christian persecution. Uh-huh. And we all know where I feel on that. Um, but uh, uh, I just – it was – it is it is it is run by – this year, though, I'm pushing that there's multi-faith speakers yeah. And we'll see how far I get along with that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, because, because one member, of the guys... members members of Congress participate, right? And yeah, uh, uh, it's pretty. Yeah. It's a big. It's a big event in D.C. and there are state level versions of them. And uh, like any other gathering, right? Uh, people of influence, like any other gathering with people of influence, other people interested in influencing try to uh creep their way in and and of course uh netflix and or the netflix documentary through jeff charlotte's journalism uh discovered that at least a couple russian folks had had uh had breached the national prayer breakfast uh in recent years and so of course with the lure of the trump administration and the drama circulating that and their association with russians uh that that was a big a big drama point in the family on Netflix. Yeah, I mean they do they do accept a lot of international um and multi-faith people into the breakfast. Yeah. And and the lunch, they do accept a lot and it's very uh um th- they are very thoughtful along those lines. Like I came in culture come in cultural clothes and there were people with multiple languages coming up to me and saying this and of course I was able to, to, to do a little bit of ghetto dari with them and this and that. That was nice. Uh, but they do have a very strong sort of program and hold over the narrative of, and it's their event essentially. Right. So, I mean, but when you're saying national, it goes back to the conversations we have about multi-faith. It's like everyone's trying to move their agenda. People have a staple event or a, a, a have access. Then they start to chip away at the multi-faith component and push their agenda. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we, you and I have talked about, you know, persecution and, and how persecution is a global issue, not just one faith and, uh, and how the playing of the numbers 
with Christian persecution and say Christian is the most persecuted, even though it's not true. So I think the challenge is, is that there's a, um, it, I, 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 my, my, my person, my struggle is with the fellowship. One of the guys in charge, I've been working with him for 10 years. And every time he sees me, he says, um, who are you again? You know, like, I, I, I was, and I'll just be honest so with you. Like, they're I, not, but another indication they're not very good at networking. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, no, no joke, done so many things for this guy on a, on, under the auspices of multi-faith. And uh, he, 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 he was, I was all the way up to about a month ago, he, he didn't recognize me. And not only that, um, when he was in a meeting and one of my very close colleagues and friends, uh, a nice Templar, was uh, um, who knew they still existed, right? So, and uh, was talking to him, and and he goes, hey, you know this? he he said he didn't know you. And I go, that I was like, Son of a, how can he not know me after ten years of working with him? So, um, uh oh, do we have to edit that out? No, we're good. Uh, all right. So, uh, but yeah, I, I and it bothers that. That's the thing that bothers me the most. I go, I've been working with this guy for ten years, and he still plays this game like he doesn't know what's going on but that's a tactic also because they have this gem of an event that everybody wants in on um even though it's skewed to a specific narrative and even though it is uh they have a very strict control over what's said and who who attends and how they attend um but it's a huge fundraiser for them too uh and I, I mean, my hope is that out of this, they decide to have multi-faith speakers and have a few people get up there. And maybe this guy will turn around and he'll say, you want to know what, John? We've been working for 10 years and you want to know, I just, I've been playing games with you for 10 years. I, I really do know you. You know, I'd, I'd, love, I'd like for him to say that to me, you know. Right. Uh, so, um, but anyways, um, yeah. so what's your take on it? Well, so. Are they, are they a Christian faction? Let's start with right there. And how long have you been involved with yeah. them? <laughs> and why are you on the run from them? Are they after That's you? right. Yeah, that's what, that's what uh, scared me out of DC. Was I was on the run from the fellowship. No, the second bucket I look at it is through the lens as a Christian, right? As a fellow Christian, and so some of what the documentary features is, is pretty. It Chris, it's, it's a pretty, Christian tradition of cheating on your wife and getting absolved. Well, uh, we'll we'll get there. Right? We'll get there. But we'll, we'll get there. But for the tame stuff first, like a lot of what they show in the Netflix is pretty innocuous. Like it's pretty uh, bland, uh, you know. What are the top three things that you consider innocuous from the television series? Prayer groups, breakfast prayer groups, uh, like they featured in, uh, was it the Portland group that they showed? Yeah. Um, so like I, I see varying degrees of being quote unquote a, an associate of of the fellowship. I thought that was pretty clear in the documentary. Like, so you got the people who are kind of at the hub and are, are pushing uh, some of the nefarious stuff that we'll get into in a minute, like the Wolf King uh, theory. Um, but it appears that all one needs to do to be considered by Netflix and Jeff Charlotte, an associate of the fellowship is to basically participate in some, you know, regular weekly Bible study with some folks. Uh, so I, it's plausible to me that like, the Portland group that they feature are doing real, what we might describe as real Christian, you know, men's Bible study group, uh, in a way that has nothing to do with this, uh, the, the, the more weird stuff that we'll get into, uh, that's kind of at the core of the fellowship. So I kind of see a spectrum there. Um, and you know, the cultivation of young men who are interested in growing into leadership positions, like more or less, that's, 
not a big deal. That's that's normal. Men and yeah, women get trained all the time. Yeah. I mean, there's fellowships. There's yeah, in all different factions it, that, that 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 are meant to cultivate people to expose them to leadership and stuff like that. So that's yeah. normal stuff. And I mean, that's it, normal you know. stuff. And and by the way, they're doing it without you know drugs and alcohol and uh, trying to keep them from uh, promiscuous sexual activity. So like to the extent that that's part of the story, like no big deal. What I find to be a big deal as a Christian uh, are a, a cup, two or three different dynamics. Number one is they they propagated, they kind of deliver, hand delivered to particularly the young men, and apparently uh, through members of their circles, a book that's just titled Jesus. And in that book is this uh, basically the four Gospels and the Book of Acts. Uh, which on the one hand, in and of itself, somewhat innocuous. But the problem there is if that's their only focus, right? They're cutting out the entire Old Testament and they're t- they're cutting out all of the epistles and the rest of the New Testament. Um, and that's problematic uh, because we as Christians believe that the whole Bible, the whole Word of God, the whole canon is important uh, to understanding Uh, even Jesus. So they have this emphasis on just Jesus, which on the one hand looks pretty tame, but as one who believes in the local church that Jesus uh, is designed for uh, Christians to live in the world is embodied in the local church. uh, I have problems (laughs) with them propagating as the focus of study, a very limited portion of of the biblical canon and look uh, christians and evangelicals included we we devote time from time to time to study books that are outside of scripture uh right and and we we recognize the apocrypha well we don't study the apocrypha (laughs) that's the that's a catholic thing uh but and again i'm i'm giving a lot of credit here presuming the depiction through the netflix and through jeff charlotte's uh, journalism, presuming he's reporting accurately, right? Uh, and that, that it's accurately shown. But uh, what I picked up through that is if the fellowship uh, is promoting the just Jesus thing, what I really notice is that there's really no teaching about the church. So they have an emphasis on the person of Jesus and are taking it upon themselves to be his ambassadors, so to speak, in the world um, through varying government positions. But I don't see any indication they're submitting themselves to the authority of a local church. Uh, Now, individual members may, but that's what it looks like to me, is it's like this external parachurch uh, organization that isn't really giving much uh, credence or thought or uh, interaction with the local church. And that, that as a Christian is a problematic to me um, because again, uh, the, the local church is supposed to be kind of our rooting, kind of the, the visual temporal expression of, of Christ's kingdom on earth. And if these guys are skipping past that, then I kind of have a problem with it. And it gets into the problem. It's part of the reason I think uh, they tend to look the other way on this stuff that you were mentioning, which is namely uh, affairs by public servants. And, and their own so, membership because community linking linking an, an, an entity to the church means it's part of the larger community which means there's a, a, a regulatory sort of component to that because you're part of a, an open uh, an open and um, and uh, um, 
I don't want to say ruled, but open and yeah. and uh, it, it, it's it's a part of the larger Christian community that has rules and regulations, but it's all transparent. Right, and that's and that's it's you know that's that's one of the cruxes with with Islam is that you have a, a larger community. You know, it's 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 a collective religion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, collective culture um, and and within Islamic context, which is Abrahamic, so it's the same deal of this idea of community. So. You're saying that it's like an outlier, um, and and then there's because they're not transparently part of a, of the larger bureaucracy of the church, which some yeah. people might be critical of that, even though they might right. attend yeah, church yeah. And, on their own. And and you can you can certainly err both ways, right? I mean, and Christians disagree on the proper the proper organization of the church, right? So we have Catholics on the one hand, we have independent Baptists on the far, far end. Uh, we have lots of Baptists between here and there, and then we have Presbyterians and Methodists and Anglicans and Episcopal. Like we all disagree on how the church ought to, ought to function, uh, in the most uh, flourishing way, but at its best, it does have in, in all its varying, um, uh, in all the varying instances of it, it, they do have some form of, or ought to have some form of authority and accountability. Now, right. supposedly, the fellowship prayer breakfasts are supposed to facilitate accountability among Christian men. That in and of itself, again, is not an anomaly within evangelical life. It's really normal. But where you see it break down is in these instances where their members have had affairs and even uh, the man of one, you know, the friend of one member uh, cheats on the other member with his wife, right? And what does the fellowship do? Nothing. And what's the excuse? They don't want anything to threaten their access to power. Agenda. Their agenda. Right. And uh, even though we can... We can talk about to the extent that they actually have some power, but um, yeah, they've 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 put power right above ethics and above care for people who have been hurt, and that is distinctively unchristian. So, well, isn't well? Here's the other side of it: isn't secretive meetings under the auspices of Jesus, while disregarding the the court? Uh, you know, scripture, isn't that, I mean, you guys are big on that thing. You guys are big on the scripture, yeah. right? You're big on the books, yes. right? So, so as all of us are, but that's, but my point is like, if you're meeting in secret and then you've got some kind of uh, unwritten agenda and then you're trying to enter the halls of power, to what end? It's only in the hands of a few who are running this secret society. Yeah. Then essentially, it's it's not even deviating from Christianity, but it's you're getting into a, a a you know an ethics and rules sort of thing because even though we started this call with everybody does this in D.C. generally, so lobbying is regulated, right? right? So it is. So you have to have your lobbying reports in every week um, and monthly, and then it's then and they're public documents. Um, you know everything that I ever done have done in government is is there's a document somewhere that says you know that that Johnny P was doing this um right. and and it was regulated by not only the the authorities but also the 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 agencies or entities whether it be the department of justice or IRS or it doesn't matter who if you're taking money to do stuff the challenge with this one is 
and there's a lot of pro bono the work that's done in, done here, done for NGOs and stuff like that. But even still, that comes into advocacy, which is what the world you and I were are are mo- well mostly in now, as are we're in, uh, particularly when we were when we when I were working at the roundtable, and we worked for an organization, even though it was they were not like my organization was the American Islamic Congress. It was not a faith-based organization. It was still an NGO that did international development and multi-faith work yeah. uh, and under the auspices of sort of faith in action, but it was Abrahamic in nature. So we have – there's we are there was a transparency there because you could go to an office. Right. Uh, you could see how these people are participating. But a lot of times these guys kind of float into – these events and these like, the round tables and stuff like that, we know they're the fellowship um, or, and, and, but they're not there. The capacity in which they're there is, is uh, a gray area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. John, why are we doing crossing phase? Three reasons. I wish Molly so everything comes in threes, right? So one <laughs> is that you and I have have a 10-year-long friendship, uh, both personal and professional. We've had very nurturing conversations that have birthed the idea that we should uh, share our thoughts and our commentary with the outside world. And we were, you know, with the intent of bringing in people to interview and talk to as well. So I think it's it's a long time coming. It's like an origin story. The second component is that we are compelled to serve something larger than ourselves. And this is a natural fit for, I think, the two of us from different perspectives. Um, you know, we're both American. We're both uh, come from different backgrounds, different regions of the country, different religious communities. I mean, I come from a multi-faith background. And, yeah. and because we have so much, such tremendous trust, we, we kind of feel like this is the next step. And there is no – there there's no Christian Muslim – podcast and now we're not saying we're the best at it but we certainly not but we are (laughs) but we are um i I am going to say you know it's an innovation and it's entrepreneurial and it is something that speaks to something that is close to both of our hearts yeah and the third reason is you know we you we have this gift of of collaborating and differing and not murdering each other or you know, doing something to harm each other, um, even though we come from two way, very different camps. And I believe that Muslims should be uh, at the forefront of religious freedom and Muslims should be at the forefront of um, engaging with the multi-faith community. And I think that this is a natural step. And hopefully I can bring my brothers and sisters on. And I think on your side, you know, there's a struggle. I always feel like there's a struggle within your community to have a multi-faith voice and collaborate because a Christian and Muslim will meet up and they'll hang out yeah. and they might talk and they might collaborate on one thing, but there's nothing that's sustaining and there's nothing that's that's uh, that goes the long haul. And hopefully this does. This is our yeah. inaugural season. You know, hopefully we find supporters. Hopefully people like us. So I don't know. Is that a fair assessment with those three points? That's Pretty perfect. Fair? I love it. So what's your so what's your take? So is this a cult or what? Well, let's just start with that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm concerned about the limitation of scripture reading to just the four gospels and Acts. Uh, it's not that it's not 
<laughs> those aren't worthy to pay attention to, but when you're trying to, when you're cultivating a membership organization and you're placing a specific emphasis, even binding uh, in, into a separate volume, a very limited uh, limited selection of scripture, that concerns me. The thing that really I really have problems with, and again, it it it's a kind of an overlapping Venn diagram with the the problem they have uh, enforce you know enforcing you know fallout and ramifications for people who've had affairs among their membership is this notion of the quote wolf king, which basically the the theory is that uh, Jesus wants us to go out and influence the people in power regardless of how nasty a wolf they are, so to speak. And as opposed to a Christ who came to seek and save the lost and the downtrodden and the weak and and all that kind of stuff, uh, that I find to be a complete anathema uh, from the biblical text uh, over and over and over again. There's nothing in there. <laughs> so they're porting in a philosophy uh, and kind of throwing Christ up around it in my view. Uh, again, if accurately uh, reported by by Netflix and Jeff Charlotte. And so that that I have a big problem with. Um, and so it not not only, uh, I've been critical in the past of evangelicals who have uh, embraced uh, Trump and the Trump campaign for the sake of basically an ends justifies the means kinds of ethic, which I, I too think is, is beyond uh, the biblical text. But this takes on a whole new a uh, whole new spin on appealing to power and seeking to influence power and holding on to power at all costs, uh, setting aside all other ethics and virtues. And I think it's really, really problematic. I think it's it's unbiblical. And so it looks to me at the core, frankly, like kind of a power cult dressed in Christian clothes. Hmm. Okay, so let's play the devil's advocate. So where's... Okay. So if, if so, that's so. This is an internal. This is an internal dispute, right? So of uh, uh, within Christianity, right? So it's yeah. a group of people that are, have power in Washington who can influence conflict, influence development funding, where it goes, um, influence uh, events and different communities to uh, do what they they want, uh, so that they could, to fit their agenda, so that uh, under the auspices that they could um, in. Influence them negatively, and uh, and to what end? It's to maintain power. Yeah, I mean th- that's what's kind of unclear. Uh, is just to it, their goal seems to be just get access to power and then have influence over it with no particular agenda necessarily. And you can see where that's really bit them hard uh, on a number of instances, especially when they're playing with foreign dictators. And where they're trying, they get access and they say Jesus and they supposedly orient their conversation around the person of Jesus. And so they kind of get a wink, wink, nod, nod from uh, dictator A, B, or C. And they think they have influence, right? And it, well, I, I think it explains a lot of the embrace of Trump, number one, uh, by evangelical leaders. Because if you've been steeped in this Wolf King kind of theory, of uh, of influence then why wouldn't you embrace trump he's he's the guy with the power he's the guy with the influence and 
his his moral credibility and lifestyle need not affect their support of him. So are you saying Jesus was obsessed with power? <laughs> Definitely not. So Jesus was obsessed with power and taken his whole social revolution was all about seizing power, toppling it, or in this case, influencing it to do stuff. Because my impression of Jesus is this whole deal of a social social revolution um, against power, not necessarily toppling it, but creating a, uh, uh, like I said, a social revolution that says everyone has access to salvation, right? That's your whole get. That's your whole bag of tricks, right? Yeah. And so, as a Christian, and my whole bag of tricks, as a when I say as a Muslim, is you know the priesthood of Hazratisa uh, is the same deal. We just have this sliver of the crucifixion that we have to figure out, right? That, uh, but if we overlook that right for a moment, it's the same deal. So it's very strange that you have these guys under the auspices of the flag of Jesus, creating uh, engagement and disruption of the, the hall in the halls of power, so that they can seize power under the under the, the banner of Jesus to do again what to maintain their own power. Yeah. But then you have the the question is is okay to what end is the fellowship doing this? So are they, you know, is it is if if there is a wolf king in the Aryan Brotherhood, are they working with that guy, right. or are they working, or would they work with Baghdadi because it serves their agenda? Yeah. Um, if if it serves their, I don't, I'm you know, I'm, I'm asking questions because I really don't know, but I'll yeah, have to yeah. ask the, yeah. well, the people the, that I know in the fellowship. But like I said, uh, to influence. The affairs of government and and culture is not, you know, new. It's not an anomaly uh, for Christianity. I mean, our our own my own Baptist faith and message that is uh, the kind of the, the primary statement of beliefs by the Southern Baptist Convention says, "quote Every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love." In order to promote these ends, those are the ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. Right? So they're caveats. They're even even in the Baptist faith and message, right? They're qualifications right. about our mode of engagement. There's nothing there that would have us set aside our loyalty to Christ and uh, his love uh, for the sake of power. Well, and that's why which you is and temporal, I have... and, and, and which is what Christ, you know, uh, avoided and declined from, uh, Satan and his temptation in the wilderness. All right. So we're, so we're, I, I guess I know I, I've, I've been invited to the Cedars. I, I, maybe I'm going to be on un- hashtag uninvited now. Um, <laughs> well, you should go know. before they, you should go before they hear this podcast. <laughs> I just feel like, what's going on? Um, I, I was a little bit nervous about going to the Templars that that I was nervous about. I was like, mm. and when they say when they called me and they said they're in the Basilica and we should and I should come, I'm like, mm. I don't know about that one. Um, I was like, I'll conference call in. Uh, so um, even though they, even though the Ismailis and and and, and the, the Templars did collaborate back in the day, um, so the, the family. I mean, it is sexy. It is timely. It's it's a hot topic. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and we're. You know the national day, the national prayer breakfast will come up in in January, February, whenever it is, and we'll all we'll all everybody be scrambling and asking if you're going. Uh, you know, it's a sought after sort of position to go in and get invited and see what's going on. And even if you are invited, you have to pay. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a hundred bucks 
you know, for each event, I think it is. Uh, so there's the prayer breakfast, then there's a prayer lunch the following day. There's a prayer dinner. So, um, but the prayer breakfast is the big sort of PR thing. Um, you know, one, one know. of the things I mean, in harmony with the Wolf King uh, nonsense, it was really disturbing. <laughs> was how fascinated, how fixated, uh, you know, at least the founding member and then some of the more recent leadership was with the organization of the Nazis and the mafia. Like they're in their own words and their speeches, this yeah. undue fascination with the organization and the loyalty structure within national socialism and the mafia. And I'm like, that's breathtaking as a Christian that an organization purporting to promote Christianity and Jesus is so fascinated with those models of organization and influence. It's like stunning. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, again, I'm giving a lot of credit to Netflix and Jeff. I mean, this, but this is not being, extraordinary. You know, you know, I mean, were they, were those just throwaway lines that they're, you know, placing undue burdens on or was like, was that really a core fascination and motivation for these guys? It's just like, like well, do, we, I, do we not have models in scripture? Like 12 disciples well, and the 12 tribes and why the fascination with uh, people who are clearly abusive and uh, preyed on the weak? Yeah, I don't know. I think, well, I think your analysis is 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 interesting because we don't know. I guess uh, I, we, we've been interacting with these guys. I've been interacting with these guys for at least the last 10 years. And, uh, and I'm, I, I know of them. I, I interact with them and I don't, I kind of treat them like a UFO sighting. I know something's going on, but I can't really tell you <laughs> what's happening. <laughs> Honestly, um, they seem pretty harmless, yeah. um, more or less, at least from my perspective. I mean, I think there's a lot of individuals that get in front of heads of state or influence the U S government. Sure. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's Trump or Obama or Bush or the, the other regime, you know, all the regimes that I've been involved in here in the United States. There's a lot of there's a lot of people that are very strange that get appointed or are influencing influencing things. So I I mean to a certain degree it doesn't necessarily bother me so much, um, but it is interesting that there's a focus on this and they do have some, they do have a, a power base. And part of the scandal of the Netflix series, as pointed out uh, by Sophie Gilbert in the Atlantic, is like how influential are they really? Because like the biggest names that they cited or featured in the documentary were Ensign, Sanford, Silgender, and Womp. Sanford's the only guy still in office. Ensign was the guy who, who committed the affair. He's he's out of the political picture. Silgender served a year in prison. Right. And Womp hasn't served, been in office for eight years. So, you know, it does beg the question, well, like, how much there is there there as far as, like, the conspiratorial power play. I mean, I could see on it that the fellowships meeting with the vice president. Oh, I know sure. that. I yeah, know. Yeah. I know that's happening. I mean, I know that that. I know that they have not only have access, but there are there is a regular meeting schedule. Um, to what end? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I was. I, I've. I've. You know, been in meetings with the executive branch where it sounds like it's really hot and sexy, right. but it's not. We yes. we ended up just talking about. <laughs> sure, nothing. I've been. I've been in those. 
Yeah, hot and sexy meetings at the at the well, executive branch. Not to be clear, not hot and sexy meetings. I've been at meetings okay. at the executive branch <laughs> and, and, and behind the security gates that looked on paper to be a big deal and aren't really a big deal. Southern Baptist Conference, hot and sexy meetings at the executive branch. You heard it, it here. Especially with the traditional so, value, especially with traditional values, folks. I can promise they were not not hot and sexy. Yeah, I mean, most of the meetings that you go to are just you're going. What is? What are we talking about? And if there's no sandwiches, it's it's downhill. There's <laughs> exactly. no you if, know. There's, if there's no so, catering. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, it's nonsense. But I, I, I mean, I know they have access. I know that they're in the meetings, and I know they've got, you know, a. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think ninety percent of their 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 you know, their whole game is is the cedars, and uh, and they talk have yeah. a lot of interesting conversations with people um i i'm not sure how much they are projecting power into into our our government and then from there like i said influencing something that really matters now maybe i'm i'm more maybe i'm naive but i think there's so many competing factions and there's so many secret societies and there's so many so much money being thrown around I just I, I I think that it's very difficult for any agenda to become number one. Now yeah. I'm saying that knowing that there's an evangelical council at the White House. I'm saying that knowing that the president is very tight with the evangelical council, and mm-hmm. I work with them very closely as well. Um, I don't I to my knowledge none of them are part of the fellowship. Right. Uh, the fellowship is a separate faction. Yeah, yeah. There's, that there, that would be two, my observation too. Well, I mean, just for listeners, there's two ecosystems. There's three ecosystems in in right now in our government. There's the 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 careers. Yeah. Then there's the Pence ecosystem, and then there's the Trump ecosystem. Yeah. And the Trump ecosystem is is the top of as a top of the pyramid. Pence ecosystem is is right below that, and then you have the the uh, the foreign the uh, the the career career uh, USG US government officials that are that are surrounding and in and and that kind of morphs around the two executive branch ecosystems. Right. So that's that's really how it's working right now. And I know that Pence has his own crew. Uh, he has his own little NSC. He has his own little government set up uh and he operates his own little thing his agenda there's, de- and there's I don't definitely mean that to a, sound, uh, no, no patronizing there's, no there's definitely a intent. there's a different corporate culture uh, between the white house right and uh and vice president's office that 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 much well, is pretty clear everyone well and the to. traditionalists yeah i mean this is not nothing this is a real change the traditionalists the, the you know that the the establishment is in the pence camp and they are fighting for their survival with the the new order with around around the Trump that the Trump presidency and the loyalists with to Trump, uh, and uh, and so it's you know like Brownback is a is from the Pence camp, right? Ambassador Brownback is from the Pence camp, right. but you have appointees like uh, like Mnuchin, right? So the Secretary of Treasury that's from the Trump camp, right? right? So. So it, it, it morphs around um, and there's – and so I would be the, – the fellowship is in the Pence ecosystem, not in the Trump ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, and so that I do know. And I do know that the evangelicals in the Trump ecosystem are very, very different than the fellowship guys. Yes, uh, they are. Although they do know – yeah, although they do know each other and they do know what's going on, 
there and the, and the ecosystems collaborate uh, and respect, respect each other, the collaboration is highly questionable. And, and, and it seems like I a lot of the, she- the evangelicals in the Trump space seem to be relatively newcomers to uh, the governing thing and the influence thing compared to the evangelicals in the, in the Pence orbit. Would you agree? Like, right. like, like the, the, yeah, the fellowship I, I folks and the and the evangelicals in the Pence in the Pence orbit, they're <clears throat> they've been around DC a long time, right? There are a lot of people who are have been who even have government government experience, right? Or they've been in lobby groups, they've been in advocacy, so they've been doing this kind of a long time. And the the kind of the core of the evangelical folks that are kind of in the Trump ecosystem, they're relatively newcomers, uh, more right. or less, to the governing thing, right? And I think that's a good thing. I'll be honest with you. You, you can make you can make the fellowship as, as sinister as you want. Pastor Paula isn't. She's not hearing it. You know, so you know, she's, <laughs> so the, the Trump ecosystem and and Pastor Paula and the Evangelical Council is like, hey, you want to know? What? You guys are evangelicals, but you're not our guys. So sorry. And and so and that's there are plenty of evangelicals. Right there. And there are plenty of evangelicals yeah. who don't think Pastor Paula is uh, evangelical in a theological sense either right so there, there's that there's yeah. that dynamic too right yeah so i i mean i i learned the term bible thumping. i mean i knew what the term bible thumping <laughs> what i heard of it before but i learned what it meant um and actually experienced it this year it was the coolest thing it was really cool <laughs> I, was, I was i was all about it so uh but uh yeah i i think that there's even though as sinister as the fellowship might be portrayed the reality is um the reality is they're just they're part of the Pence ecosystem, which is subordinate to the Trump ecosystem and the Evangelical Council, which they're not a part of. So I, I don't think that they I think that their influence is probably you know strong uh, with the vice president's office, but they're just one voice and there's many voices probably hitting him. So I'm not sure that the family Netflix series does justice to to uh the environment that is washington and the pelt right yeah yeah i agree this has been crossing phase with john pinna and matt hawkins a podcast of roll top productions you can continue the conversation with us if you dare on twitter via at mt hawk at jt pinna and at crossing phase Love it or hate it, we'd appreciate your review of our program wherever you glean your favorite podcasts, especially in the iTunes store. Music for this episode is provided courtesy Vajra. Show notes and an assortment of other information is available at crossingfades.com. <laughs>